Open your Bibles in the book of Romans, chapter 1, Romans, chapter 1, and we are going to focus on verses 1 to 7. Romans, chapter 1, verse 1 to verse 7. And this morning, we are going to address the most important aspect of evangelism, which is the evangel. We have looked for the last couple of weeks at the ism of evangelism, but this morning, we are going to address the evangel of evangelism, the message of evangelism. What is the gospel? And although there is much confusion about the message that we proclaim, there are some important aspects about the message we must fully grasp. And, and Paul, in this introduction to the book of Romans, is going to reorient our focus. And in doing so, he will help us frame a gospel understanding that is both biblical and precise. Brothers and sisters, we must be biblical in our gospel proclamation, and we must also be precise in our gospel proclamation. And Paul, this morning, is going to help us in this endeavor. Let's read the passage. Verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. And I want you to underline that phrase, the gospel of God. Verse 2, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son. And I want you to underline that phrase, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead Jesus Christ our Lord through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith and I want you to underline that phrase to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. I want you to underline verse 6. Including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and are called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to see the priority in Paul's introduction. Paul strategically so wants the reader to understand the priority in the gospel. In this introduction, he gives us the source of the gospel. He gives us the content of the gospel. He gives us the purpose of the gospel. And he also gives us the objects of the gospel. Pay attention to the connection. What is the source of the gospel? The source of the gospel is God. We find that in verse 1. The content of the gospel is Jesus. We find that in verse 3. The purpose of the gospel is to bring about obedience in faith. Or obedience of faith. Or obedience and faith. We find that in verse 5. And the objects of the gospel are the called. The ones who are effectually called from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. We find that in verses 5 
and six. So what is Paul saying about this gospel? This is the gospel of God concerning his son to bring about obedience and faith in the called ones among all the nations. What is Paul giving us in this introduction? Pay attention to this because this is very important. In gospel proclamation, we start with God. Then we point everyone to Christ. We command everyone to obey. And the called will respond in faith. But due to our limited time this morning, we're going to only focus on that first element of the gospel proclamation. The source of the gospel. In verse 1, he says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Paul begins this letter by saying that he was set apart by Christ for the gospel of God. Let's, let's begin with that first part of that phrase, the gospel. What is the gospel? The word gospel means good news. The meaning of the word gospel comes from the word euangelion, which means good news. This word was first used in the Greco-Roman context to announce victory over the enemy. But the main understanding of the New Testament usage of this word comes from the book of Isaiah chapter 40 verse 9. Some theologians call the book of Isaiah the gospel of the Old Testament. In Isaiah 40 verse 9 we read, Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. O Zion, proclaimer of good news. Lift up your voice with strength. O Jerusalem, herald of good news, lift it up. Fear not, say to the cities of Judah. The gospel is good news. Paul is telling us that this good news have a source. This is the good news of God. God is the source of this news. God is the architect of this news. God, God is the originator of this good news. This gospel has come down to us from his throne. This was his divine scheme. The gospel was not invented by humans, but it was created, originated in the mind of God. This is God's message to this world. In fact, it was God the Father who first proclaimed the gospel. In the book of Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, and in fact this is one of the most important passages of scriptures. We call that the Protonevangelion, which is the first proclamation of the gospel message. He says to Satan, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. In the book of Mark, chapter 1, verse 14 to 15, listen to what it says. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand repent and believe in the gospel Romans 15 verse 15 to 16 says because of the grace given 
me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God. 1 Thessalonians 2, 2 says, But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Brothers and sisters, the Bible is very explicit about the source of this gospel. This is the gospel of God. This is the good news of God. He is the source of the gospel. Which begs the question, why? Why is this the good news of God? Why is this the gospel of God? If the meaning of the word gospel is good news of victory, we must ask the following question. Victory over what? People would say, well, victory over sin. Okay, I get that. But what is sin? Well, 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 well th th these are, th this is the good news for sinners. I, I get that. But what is a sinner? What did we do? Who did we offend? The gospel is the good news of God to put an end to the seemingly permanent bad news. In order for you to embrace the good news of victory, you must truly understand the bad news. In order to do that, Paul wants us to start with God. So let's get into the bad news. I want to ask you a question and I want you to ponder upon it as I'm asking it. What is the chief end of men? What is the chief end of men? The chief end of men is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Isaiah 43 verse 7 says, Everyone who is called by my name whom I created, listen to this, for my glory, whom I formed and made. First Chronicles 16, 29 says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Romans eleven thirty six, the Apostle Paul says, All the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, and how inscrutable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, and, and who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him, and through him, and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. What is the chief end of men? The chief end of men is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Why did God create you? God created you to glorify Him and to enjoy Him forever. Contrary to popular belief. Your purpose on this earth is to glorify God. 
Rick Warren wrote a book called The Purpose Driven Life and in it he was trying to help people find their purpose. Wrong. You only have one purpose in this life and that purpose is to glorify God in everything you do. What do we mean by the term glorify? To glorify God is to reflect His greatness in our being, thoughts, actions, words, and allegiances. To glorify God is to make much of God in our being, thoughts, actions, words, and allegiances. To glorify God is to give evidence of His attributes in our being, in our actions, in our words, and in our allegiances. To glorify God is to reflect His greatness, to make much of God, and to give evidence of His attributes. Genesis 1, 26. Let us make men in our image after our own likeness. In our image, in our likeness. We were created to reflect His image. We were created to reflect His greatness. We were created to make much of God. Therefore, glorifying God must be the all-encompassing pursuit of of every single human being. To glorify God is the reason why we are here and the reason behind everything we do. The reason why we were created to glorify God is because God glorifies Himself through everything that He creates. Everything that God creates glorifies Him. Let me give you a couple of examples. The angels glorify God. Isaiah chapter 6 verse 2 to 3 says, Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. The angels glorify God. Creation also glorifies God. We find that in Psalms 19 verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Brothers and sisters, we were created to glorify God because God is the only being who can receive glory. We were created to glorify God because God is the only being who deserves glory. But how do we glorify God? We were commanded to glorify Him. We were created to glorify Him. How do we do that? We glorify God in appreciation. We glorify God when we admire Him and His attributes above all things. We also glorify God in adoration. We glorify God when we bow to His supremacy. We also glorify God in affection. We glorify God when we love Him with all our heart, soul, and mind. And we also glorify God in obedience. We glorify God when we do what He says. We are His creatures. We are His subjects. We do what He says. If we were created to glorify God, then what is sin? If the chief end of man is to glorify God, then what is sin? Brothers and sisters, sin is failure to glorify God. John Piper puts it this way. What is sin? 
It is the glory of God not honored. And because of that, because the glory of God is not honored, then the holiness of God is not going to be reverenced. The greatness of God is not going to be admired. The power of God is not going to be praised. The truth of God is not going to be sought. The wisdom of God is not going to be esteemed. The beauty of God is not going to be treasured. The goodness of God is not going to be savored. The faithfulness of God is not going to be trusted. The commandments of God are not going to be obeyed. The justice of God is not going to be respected. The wrath of God is not going to be feared. The grace of God is not going to be cherished. The presence of God is not going to be prized. The person of God is not going to be loved. That is sin. When you do not glorify God, nothing else will be esteemed. And the indictment on human beings is predicated by their failure to glorify God. How did we fail to glorify God? We were commanded to glorify God. We failed to glorify God. How did we fail to glorify God? Listen to this. By attempting to steal it. By exchanging the pursuit of it with the pursuit of self-glory. Paul cogently puts it in Romans 1.21 when he said, For although they knew God. Let, 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 me, let me make a parenthesis in here. There is no such a thing as an atheist. That is an oxymoron. Everybody knows that there is a God. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God. But they exchanged the glory of the immortal God. They exchanged the glory of the majestic God for images resembling mortal men. How did we fail to glorify God? We simply exchanged the glory of the Creator for the glory of the creature. Instead of giving Him glory, we attempted to steal that glory. The basis of our rebellion is to take for self what belongs to Him. That is the greatest offense anyone can commit against God. Sin is not sinning. Sin is usurping what belongs to God. Sin is stealing what belongs to the one who gave you life. Sin is stealing what you cannot handle. Sin is stealing what makes God, God. It is for this reason that the greatest sin recorded in scriptures and what gave forth to our predicament was precisely this glory stealing if you go to the book of Genesis chapter 3 verse 4 listen to what it says the serpent said to the woman you will not surely die for God knows <laughs> for God knows that when you eat of it your eyes will be opened and you will be like God you see, the temptation from the beginning was for us to become like God. Because when you are like God, you can redefine reality. When you are like God, then you can dictate what is right and what is wrong. 
When you are like God, you are autonomous. When you are like God, you don't have to be accountable to anyone. Verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good. And that it was a delight to the eyes. And that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of it. She took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he also ate. Adam and Eve sinned because they wanted the glory that belonged to God. And from that point onward, from that point forward, every single human being pursues the same thing. We saw another example in the Tower of Babel. What did they say? Let us make a name for ourselves. Thus trying to steal God's glory. And that is exactly the same thing we do. I am my own source of authority. Thus stealing the glory of God. In fact that is the scarlet thread throughout the history of mankind. Is men believing they deserve only what belongs to God. The basis of God's divinity and autonomy is glory. Which leads us to an important juncture in this argument. Glory stealing is what provokes God's wrath. Anything created that pretends to borrow what only belongs to God is committing treason against God. And this is why God says in Isaiah 48:11, My glory I will not give to another. Therefore... If we were created to glorify God, and if we failed to glorify God, what would a holy God do to us? Which leads us to the bad news. And I want you to understand the bad news, because you will never understand the good news unless you understand the bad news. You will never appreciate the good news unless you truly come to terms with the bad news. Brothers and sisters, in gospel proclamation, you must give them the bad news. Which is the greatest omission in gospel proclamation in modern Christianity. No one wants to talk about the bad news, but the good news are predicated on the bad news. You need to give them the bad news. So, what are the bad news? We are dead in our trespasses and sins. We find that in Ephesians 2 verse 1 to 3. Let me, let me make a comment here. You are not sinking. You see, sinners are not out there sinking. They are floating. They are corpses. They are spiritually dead. That is the first thing that you need to understand. Because of glory stealing, every single human being is born dead. You are not dying, but you are dead. As Arsus Sproul says, we are dead on arrival. The second thing that you need to understand is that we are, apart from Christ, worthless. Yeah, go ahead and tell that to people today. Apart from Christ, you are worthless. And we find that in Romans 3 verse 12. Not only are you dead in your sins, but you are worthless. Number three, you are hostile to God. Romans 8, 7 to 8. We are also enemies of God. Romans 5 verse 10. We are alienated from God. Colossians 1 verse 21. Listen to this one. God hates us. Apart from Christ, God 
hates us. That the Bible says that God is angry at the wicked every single day. Psalms 5, verse 5 to 6. Psalm 11, verse 5. The wrath of God is upon us. Apart from Christ, the wrath of God is upon you. John 3, verse 36. You are not righteous. Apart from Christ, no one is righteous. Romans 3, verse 10. No one is good. Romans 3, verse 12. We do not seek after God. Romans 3, verse 11. You see, a lot of people are, are, are telling us that they are seeking God. No, no, they are not seeking God. They are seeking comfort. You see, if you tell people, do you want to go to hell? Most of them will say, no. Would you, like, would you like to go to heaven? Most of them will say, yes. Their problem is not the desire to go to heaven. The problem is that they don't want to see God when they get there. We also do not fear God. Apart from Christ. No one fears God. And the reason why, the main reason why our evangelism doesn't work is because we keep telling people who do not fear God that God loves them. And by that mere confession, you are jettisoning your evangelistic efforts because you are contradicting what the Bible says. God cannot love what He hates. And they need to understand that God is angry at the wicked every single day. No one fears God. Jesus will judge us. Apart from Christ, Jesus will judge you. And he will be ruthless in the execution of his justice. We find that in Acts 17... 30 to 31, Romans 2, 16, Matthew 16, 27, Romans 19, 11 to 21, Romans 20, 11 to 15, Romans 22, 12. And the last bad news is that hell awaits to all who do not repent. And we find that in Matthew 13, 49 to 50, Matthew 22, 13, Hebrews 10, 26 to 30, 2 Peter 3, 7. And let me bring a word of clarification. Hell is not the absence of God. Hell is the very presence of God. Because hell is the manifestation of the wrath of God. Brothers and sisters, these are what constitute the bad news. And you must come to terms with it in order to value the good news. So when Paul says in Romans 1, 1 to 7, Paul, a servant of Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, this is what he is implying. The wrath of God can only be appeased by his own solution. The justice of God must be satisfied on his terms. Not on your terms. On his terms. He is the offended party, and he is the only one who has the solution to the problem. So what is the gospel? The gospel is God's terms of peace. The gospel is the means by which the wrath of God is satisfied, and the means by which sinful people... God-haters, glory-stealers can be reconciled to a holy God. 
But now that we understand this, brothers and sisters, now that we understand the source of the gospel, now that we understand God's terms of peace, now that we understand our purpose in life, which is to glorify God, now that we understand the meaning of sin, which is glory stealing, now that we understand the bad news and the indictment upon humanity, we are ready to point people to the good news. It is only when, when they understand their predicament that you are ready to point them to the solution to their predicament. Only when we understand that God created us for His glory and we stole that glory we transgressed His holy law in our attempt to steal His glory. His wrath is upon us. Once we understand that, we are ready to point people to the content of the gospel, which is Jesus. And we will cover that next week. Let's pray.